Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. If you can, please open your Bible to Genesis chapter 12 as John shares his message, When There's a Famine in the Land. I want to talk to you today about what to do when you encounter a problem that you didn't see coming. You know, sometimes in life, we're just living our life, minding our own business, trying to follow God as best as we can, and out of the blue, we encounter a difficulty or a challenge, some problem that just blindsides us. We didn't see it coming, and we never thought that it would happen to us. Now, if you'll open your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter number 12, I want us to see that we're not the first people to encounter problems unexpectedly. We're studying today about a man named Abraham. He's a well-known Old Testament character. He's the father of our faith. And Genesis chapter 12 is one of the most interesting chapters in all the Bible. It's that chapter where God called Abraham to leave the place where he was, the place that he was very familiar with, and to go out into the unknown, into a place. He didn't even know where he was going. God basically said, I'll show it to you on the way. You just follow me one step at a time. Now, let's just begin in chapter 12 and verse number one, because it's interesting. One night last week, I wasn't looking for a sermon or anything like that. A sermon was the farthest thing from my mind. But before I went to bed, I said, I want to just read Genesis chapter 12, because I haven't read it in a while, and it really spoke to me. And so I want us to look at this this morning. Verse 1, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot, that's his nephew, went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, Haran is modern-day Syria. Verse 5, then Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Now, Canaan is what we know as Israel today. And so here was Abraham living in Syria with his family, and God said, I want you to leave your home, and I want you to go to a different place. And so he started out on his journey not knowing where he was going, because we read in Hebrews that that it says that Abraham went out not knowing exactly where he was going, but God was leading him to Israel, and he got there, and he got situated in the promised land in Canaan. And what God was saying and says in in the subsequent chapters, Abraham, all this land is yours, not only yours, but to your son Isaac and your grandson Jacob and all your descendants. And so the reason today that the Jewish people live in the nation of Israel is because here God gave it to Abraham, the father of the Jewish people and the father of our faith. So we read those first 12, those first five verses, chapter 12, and we think Abraham was perfectly obedient to God. He did exactly what God told him to do. And we might think that as a result of that, when he got into Canaan, that God sent down some angels and said, Abraham, you did such a good job. And maybe God would come himself and congratulate Abraham and and bless him for being 
being obedient. Well, God blessed him, but not in the way we would expect. Look in verse number 10, because this is very, very unusual. Now, here's Abraham in Canaan, having been perfectly obedient to God. And here's what verse 10 says. Now, there was a famine in the land. There was no food. I'm sure Abraham was tempted to think, now, God, what is this? You led me here. I left what was known to come to the unknown, and as a result of my obedience, now I'm experiencing a famine. And as I read that the other night, I thought, you know what Abraham experienced here is what we experience sometime in our lives. We're trying to be obedient to God as best we can. Nobody's perfect, of course, but we're trying to do what God wants us to do. And instead of a feast, there's a famine. Instead of some kind of a celebration, there's this problem, and we wonder, God, what am I supposed to do now that there's a famine in the land? Now, when I say famine, I'm using that for our purposes metaphorically. For you, it could be the loss of a job. It could be a problem in a relationship. It could be a health issue. It could be a money issue. It could be an emotional issue. Maybe you're struggling with depression or you're struggling with some anxiety and fear. It could be a mental issue. You, the devil, you have some kind of a, there's a stronghold that Satan has in your mind. Maybe it's a spiritual famine and you feel like, you know what? I read the Bible and it's like black ink on white paper and it doesn't speak to me. I pray and I feel like God's not on the other end of the line. And maybe I even come to a service like this today and everybody's worshiping and praising God and glad to be there. But me, I kind of feel flat, kind of have, kind of feel blah and not really getting anything out of it. And so, for you, it's a spiritual family. You think, God, what's wrong? I'm trying to obey you. I'm in church today. I'm trying to live my life in a way that would honor you. And yet, God, I'm kind of like Abraham. There's a famine in the land. And so the question is, what do we do when there's a famine in the land in some area of our lives? Number one, this is very important. Don't assume that you're out of God's will. Don't assume that you're out of God's will. Now, I don't think Abraham assumed he was out of God's will. He knew that he was in God's will. But many times, I think we get in a situation out there in life, and we just assume or say to ourselves, well, I guess I must have made a mistake. I thought God wanted me to do this, and I did it, and now it's not working out, so I guess I just got out of the will of God. Well, it is true that sometimes we have problems in life because we sinned and got out of the will of God. I think about Jonah in the Old Testament. God called him to go in this direction. He went that direction. And as a result of his disobedience, he had all kinds of problems in his life. So sometimes that happens. But more often than not, in the life of the believer who's trying to go with God, we don't have problems because we're out of the will of God. Sometimes we have problems because we're actually in the will of God. I think about Job in the Old Testament. He was a man the Bible says was blameless and he was upright and he served God and he shunned evil and I mean, he loved God with all of his heart. And he had all kind of problems in his life that Satan actually brought in to try to get Job to stop loving and trusting God. I think about the disciples in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus came to them one day and he said to those disciples, what I want you to do is get in this boat and sail across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus made them do that. So they got in the boat, and they're sailing along, doing exactly what Christ had told them to do. They got out there, and a terrible storm blew across that Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been on the Sea of Galilee, you know those storms can just come immediately like that. And that's what happened. And the water's coming into the boat, and they thought certainly they would drown. They were scared to death. Now, let me ask you a question. Were they in a storm because they were out of the will of God? No, they were in a storm because they were in the will of God. They were doing what God told him to do. And here Abraham is the exact same way. He did what God told him to do, but he ended up in a famine. It was a test. 
and he didn't understand what was going on. Now, let me say this about the will of God, because all of us want to be, quote, in the will of God. You may be thinking, now, what do you mean by the will of God? The will of God refers to God's plan for your life what God would have you to do. There's a general will of God, certain things that all of us should do, and then there's a specific will of God, that the person that God wants you to marry, the place God wants you to live, the place where God wants you to work, that's God's specific will for your life. We all want to be in the will of God, and I think sometimes it's easy when we're having difficulty out there just to assume, well, I guess I'm out of the will of God. Remember this about the will of God. Unless you have done something God told you not to do, or unless you have failed to do something that God told you to do, either in His Word or through His Spirit, you're not out of the will of God. You can't get out of the will of God that easily. You get out of the will of God. Let me say that again. When you do something God told you not to do. So in the Bible, we read certain things that we're not supposed to do. Well, if we do one of those things, we're out of the will of God. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you would be out of the will of God for the rest of your life. You can repent and confess and get back in the will of God. So unless you've done something God told you not to do, or maybe God's told you to do something and you haven't done it. God's told you to be baptized. Well, you haven't done it. Well, in that area, you're out of the will of God. God's told you to forgive somebody. You haven't done it. Well, you're out of the will of God. But unless that has happened, you're not out of the will of God. You're in the will of God. And so just because you're in a famine, don't assume that you're out of God's will. Now, the second thing I would say we should do when we, when we get in a famine out there, a dry time in our life, is don't try to change your circumstances. So many times that's exactly what we do. In fact, that's what Abraham did. Look back in verse number 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and then after that word land, there's a comma in my Bible. And it would be good if the next part of the verse said, and Abraham decided to trust God during the famine and stay in Canaan because that's where God had told him to go. It'd be great if that's how that verse read, but that's not what it says. It says, now there was a famine in the land, comma. And Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. So Abraham, here he's got this problem. There's a dry time in his life. There's a famine, no food for him. And instead of staying in Canaan and praying about that and saying, now, God, you sent me here. You know I've got to have food. My wife's got to have food. Our family has to have food. Now, God, there's not any food, but you would not have sent us here to die You would have sent us here to live, and so I'm asking you to supernaturally, providentially send us some food. I guarantee you, had Abraham prayed that, God would have sent a manna or a quail or something to eat. But Abraham decided to take matters in his own hands, and he went down to Egypt. Now, the problem with that was God never told him to go to Egypt. God had told him to go to Canaan, but God never told him to go to Egypt. That was Abraham's idea. And when he went down to Egypt, see, he did something that God never told him to do, and he got out of the will of God. But I can understand how he got out of the will of God. He got out of the will of God because he took matters in his own hands. He didn't like his circumstances. We might say it this way. He didn't like his job. He didn't like his surroundings. He didn't like how things were playing out in his life. He didn't like it. And so instead of staying put and trusting God, what did he do? He took marriage into his own hands and he went down to Egypt to change his circumstances. Now, from Abraham, we learn here that it is not our job to change our circumstances. It is our job to trust God in our circumstances, and if He chooses to change them, fine. 
If he chooses to leave them as they are, so be it. That's his decision. But when we take matters into our own hands, we make a horrible, horrible mistake. Now, what have I said so far? When there's a famine in the land, don't assume you're out of the will of God. You very well may not be. You may be right in the middle of God's will. It's a test. You don't see it as a test, but it's a test. It's something God has allowed into your life to see how you're going to respond to it. If you are out of God's will, confess the sin, repent of it, and get back in God's will. But don't automatically assume you're out of God's will. No. Number two, don't try to change your circumstances. You stay put. Don't run. Stay stay with God and see what He's going to do. Now, I say all that I've said today to lead up to this third point that I want to try to drive home in this message. When you are in a famine in your life, now watch this. This is extremely important. Don't miss a wonderful opportunity to go deeper in your relationship with God. Now, all of us in life, when we get in a famine, you know, like I say, we don't like it. We want out of it. We question God, why am I going through this? And we may or may not get those answers on earth. We'll get the answer in heaven. We may or may not get those answers on earth. But one of the things we must remember is when we are going through a dry time, even though we can't see it, we're not thinking it this way, but it's nonetheless true, we have an incredible opportunity to go deeper in our relationship with God. Let me ask you this question. As you look back on your life up until this point, no matter how young or old you are, your life up to this point, when have you grown the most? When you were up on the mountain or when you were down in the valley? Well, I guarantee you it's when we're down in the valley. The mountaintops are wonderful, but you don't grow vegetation up on the mountain. You grow vegetation down in the valley where it can receive the proper amount of of rainwater and these type things. And so that's true in our lives. It's down in the valley that we grow. Say, okay, John, you're saying now, because some of you listening to this and and, and some of you listening at home today, and you're saying, I'm glad I'm joining this service (laughs) because I can relate to Abraham. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do, and yet I'm in a famine. There's a dry place in my life, and okay, I'm not going to assume I'm out of God's will. I'm not going to try to change my circumstances. But now this thing you're on to now, you're telling me don't miss out on a wonderful opportunity to go deeper in my relationship with God. And the natural question will be, how can I do, how am I supposed to go deeper in my relationship? with God. Well, one of the things is go to church. But also, in the valley, in the dry time, in the famine of life, this is the time to intensify our praying and to intensify our fasting. And that's what I want to talk to you about just for the next few minutes, prayer and fasting. Now, some of you visiting today, you say, now, I don't understand. I know prayer, but what do you mean by fasting? Well, fasting is when we give up food for a temporary specified amount of time so that we can spend the time that we would have spent eating in prayer seeking God. Now, God knows we can't go without food forever. We have to eat to live. But God also knows that most of us could go a day without food or certainly a meal without food or maybe three days without food or maybe longer than that. And so in the Bible, it's interesting, in the Sermon on the Mount, We read that Jesus assumed that as part of the spiritual disciplines of his followers, that there would be occasional or regular times of prayer and fasting. And I'll tell you how I know that. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this, when you pray, and then he told us how to pray. But he didn't say if you pray, he just assumed we would pray. And then he said, 
when you do a charitable deed, when you give money, and then he told us how to do it. He didn't say if you give, but when, then he told us how to give. In that same passage, Jesus said, when you fast. He didn't say, if in your journey of following me, you ever decide to fast. He didn't say if, he said when. Why? He just assumed as part of the Christian's life that there would be times of fasting. And so in the Bible, we read Moses fasted, Elijah fasted, Daniel fasted, Jesus fasted, Paul fasted, the early church fasted, entire nations fasted. Why? So that they could spend the time that they would have spent eating food, seeking God. Now, it's mysterious, this whole idea of fasting. It's mysterious why this is a big deal to God. It's kind of like tithing. God doesn't need our money. He owns everything. But God says, I want 10% of what I've given you. It's an act of worship. And if you'll honor me with your tithe, I'll honor you and your finances. And those of us who tithe know that's true. Well, the same thing's true with fasting. There's something about fasting that honors God. And as a result, there's something about fasting that God honors. I don't fully understand it, but I just know it's true. I know it from the Bible, and I know it from personal experience. We read in the Bible, people did a three-day fast. Some did a 10-day fast. Some did a 21-day fast. Some did a 40-day fast. And so all, sometimes they fasted from all food. Sometimes, like in Daniel's case, he went 10 days. He didn't fast from all food, but he only ate vegetables. Now, some people don't, they just say, I'd rather just fast from everything if I have just eat vegetables for 10 days. But that's all he ate. No meat and nothing that we would call really good. He just ate vegetables for 10 days. Well, and so fasting, whether you fast for a day or a, a meal or whatever, it's something that Jesus assumed would be part of our life. Well, it's interesting. About 10 years ago, we had it on our hearts that it would be a good idea if we would set aside three days for prayer and fasting, except when we put this little booklet together, and when we shared this with the church, it's been at least 10 years ago, I would say, we said what we're going to challenge everybody to do is not a food fast. And here's the reason. There are many people who can't fast from food. You're on medication. Maybe you're diabetic. And it would cause serious issues if you said, I'm not going to eat food for three days or for a day. You have to have food with your medication. So not everybody can do a food fast, but everybody can do a media fast. And so that's what this booklet was. And I, and, and I know we've done this so many years. And to be honest with you, I always like to do this one Sunday in January. And this year, I, I thought about it, and I looked at this booklet, and I thought to myself, I don't know if I want to do that again. I mean, we've done it before. It's not new. You know, every, we all want something new. And then I got thinking, well, you know, breakfast isn't new. Right? I mean, breakfast, is, breakfast has been around for a long time. But I had some this morning. I didn't just get up and say, well, you know, I had breakfast last year, so I'm not going to eat breakfast this year. Breakfast isn't new. Sleep isn't new. When you go to bed every night, you're not looking for something new. You're looking for a pillow in the warm covers, right? I mean, people have been sleeping forever. But just because it's old doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep doing it. In fact, there's some, there's, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. One of the problems in Christianity today is that we all want something new. Well, and I'm that way too. Sometimes I want something new. But listen, in all of our hungering for something new, let's don't neglect the things that are old and that God assumes we'll still keep on doing in our lives. And so that's why we're doing this today. And so this is a booklet about 
a media fast. You say, John, why, why a media fast? I can understand why you wouldn't challenge diabetics and people on medication to fast from food, but what's the deal about media? I believe, and I'm going to read you the reasons I believe this, that in our day and time, a media fast may be more important than a food fast. Because remember, in Bible times, they didn't have any media. And so their life revolved around food and the next meal and, and the conversations that they would have with other people. And so the fasting was not just giving up food. It was sacrificing that element so you could talk to God. But in our day, the media is dominating our lives and our minds in, 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 a, in an incredible way. The average American spends eight hours a day working, eight hours a day sleeping, Two hours a day on meals, give or take, if you prepare the meal, it may be longer than that. Prepare it, you eat it, you clean it up three times a day. Let's call that two hours. The average American spends four hours or more, according to most studies, watching television. And the average American spends two and a half hours a day on social media. Now, when you add all that up, it comes up to 24 and a half hours. Now, the problem is there are only 24 hours in the day. So if we're spending 24 and a half hours a day doing this, here's the question. When is anybody praying? Well, and that's why I'm saying, see, if you decide and say, you know what? I'm going to do a media fast for one. Maybe you just say one. Maybe you live alone and you just say, man, I'm by myself. If I go three days with no TV and no radio, I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to go crazy. Well, God doesn't want you to go crazy, so just do one day. Maybe all you need right now. But if you decide to do one day, two days, or even three days to give up the media, if you're an average American, what would that do? That would free up six and a half hours a day to do what? To listen to God, to read the Bible, to pray. After you've got finished praying, to sit there in silence. Habakkuk 2.20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. You say, you mean you think I should sit silent before God for six and a half hours a day? I, I'm not saying you should do that every day. I'm not even necessarily saying you should do that any days. I'm saying this. If the average American is spending four hours a day watching TV and two hours a day online, six and a half hours... We would be wise somewhere along the journey to sacrifice those six and a half hours to sit in the presence of God. Now, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do today. I'm not going to ask anybody here to make a commitment that you're going to spend three days in a media fast. And the reason I'm not going to do that, it wouldn't be fair. You haven't had time to think about it. And this is a big deal. That's three days of your life. So I'm not asking you to make that commitment. But what I'm asking everybody here to do Take this booklet and open it up and begin reading on page three and read all the way through page 12. That's all you got to do. Once you get to page 12, there's a three-day prayer guide. If you decide to do this media fast during that, those three days, that prayer guide will help you at that point. But the pages three through 12 talk about fasting and why we should do it and what we can expect to happen in our lives. For those of you who are watching and listening at home today, you say, well, I'm not there. I don't have the book. You can go to our website, peacebybelieving.org. And on that website, you can find this booklet. You can read it on your, read these pages three through 12 on your phone or on your computer. And when you finish page 12, here's what I'm asking you to do before you go to bed tonight. I'm asking you after you finish the assigned reading to close the booklet to sit it down, 
God, I heard what John said at church today. I've just read the pages he asked me to read. And I'm asking you, do you want me to do a three-day media fast? And just sit there for 10 minutes. And just follow your heart. If you don't feel, you, you feel no leadership of the Holy Spirit to do that, I would say don't do it. Because he's not leading you to do it. If you get finished that, you say, you know what? I think that's exactly what I need to do. You feel God leading you to do it. Maybe you feel to do it for one day. Anything's better than nothing. Maybe you feel to do it for one evening. Not even the whole day, but just from six at night to the next morning. No TV. Do whatever God leads you to do. If you feel that God is leading you to participate in a time of fasting and would like to read the prayer and fasting booklet that John was speaking about during his message, simply go to our website, peacebybelieving.org, and look for the booklets tab at the top of the page. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.